Knoxville Game Design, January 2018, Version Control Software and Repositories, with Levi, Dylan, Jake, and Jacob. Welcome everyone to the January 2018 Knoxville Game Design Podcast. Um, currently this week, uh, we have on the line Dylan Wolf from Lenore City. Hi. And we have Jake Gillenwater. And Jake, are you in Kingsport? Okay. Jake says hi. And I'm Levi Smith um, in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And uh, we're just game developers here in the East Tennessee area. We get together once a month and just talk about things going on in the games industry, what we've been working on, and just showing off what we're doing. So uh, for a change this month, we're going to start out with some viewer mail uh, that we actually got. And let me pull that up. Okay, so we have Bryson that wrote in to Knoxville Game Design. And he says, hello, my name is Bryson and I'm looking for guidance in the game development industry. I have all the programs, Unreal Engine, all the way to 3D Studio Max 2018. I know the basics, but I wanted to get more involved, more in-depth, so I'm reaching out for help. So um, I read this, and um, I'm thinking it really depends on what Bryson wants to do here. Um, if he just wants to go out and like be an indie, do this for a hobby, um, I don't think you really need to have like connections. Like I don't consider myself in the industry. I'm just kind of do this as a hobbyist. Um, if he does want to actually do this for a career, um, I know that Epic Games is in raleigh north carolina which is pretty close to us and i know there's some game companies out in austin texas otherwise you're probably looking at the west coast if you want to get into it as far as getting started um 3d studio max is a big leap to take if you've never really did game design before um I know most people usually start out in game maker or something like that just making simple 2d games um I know I started out in QBasic. I think Dylan also started out with QBasic. Yeah, that was that was what I started out with too. Yeah, it is pretty simple. Uh, I think you can still run QBasic through DOSBox if you get the Q, QBasic EXE. You can run it through there. Um, other uh, software that I've used when I started out was Allegro, which you can use C. Um, I don't think you can do C++, but they used to have a compiler called DJGPP, I think. It ran on Windows and plugged in with Allegro really well. And I know other people who also started out with Allegro. Um, aside from that, there's also SDL, where you can write simple games like that. But uh, I don't know too much about... Let me share out my screen again. Uh, about Unreal Engine, I've done one game in Unreal Engine a couple of years ago. It was like a simple breakout game just uh, so I could learn uh, how to do Unreal. And I actually have a post on my website for Unreal Engine First Impressions. Now, I do know Unreal Engine does have this thing called Blueprints, which is kind of like a no-code type thing you like 
make these different boxes and you drag the values, connect the boxes with the different inputs and things like that. So that's that's a good way to get started uh, if you've never really done much game programming before and you do want to use Unreal Engine. Um, going back to Epic Games, I mean, they are the creators of the Unreal Engine. So if you are looking to get a job with Epic, then it, I would definitely highly recommend being familiar with uh, Unreal Engine. And it is also free. I think you have to download the Epic Games installer, and then you can just run it through that. also wanted to mention that on the KnoxGameDesign.org website, we have a sp page just on tutorials where uh, we've posted a collection. Dylan has quite a few tutorials on here for getting started. I have like a game development overview. This is uh, like a talk that I did to a high school class, like computing class, um, just on the overview of game development, some of the tools that are available to use um, as far as game engines and graphics and doing sound effects and things like that. And also Mike Neal, he has quite a few uh, Unity tutorials that he wrote a few years ago, or he actually did videos on these a while back. So I'd definitely recommend checking out those as well. But as far as getting into the industry, um, like I was saying, I don't consider myself a part of the industry. I don't really have many connections or anything. Um, I'm not sure exactly what is required if you are like applying for a major company or studio I know I know a lot of places are putting less of an emphasis like on a bachelor's degree and just if you do have a good portfolio of things that you've created uh, have a place have like a website if it's just a simple free WordPress site have a site where you have all the games that you've developed everything that you're you've done and completed and uh, have a place where you can show that off um, as far as just getting started, um, Dylan and I were talking about this a little bit before. I mean, we're he here to help. If you if you have any questions or anything, we can't take that first step for you. Uh, what I've always said is kind of like learning to play baseball. You got to pick up the bat yourself and take a couple swings, and we can provide help or pointers after that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely stay in touch, Bryson. If you have any other questions, hopefully uh, you, you keep up with our uh, video and podcast and uh, keeping up with the latest that's going on in Knoxville game design. He didn't actually say if he was in East Tennessee. I'm assuming he is. But, um, yeah. So hopefully that helps. Um, let's see here. So I guess next we'll do go ahead and do show and tell. Uh, Dylan, did you have anything you wanted to show off this month? No, like I, I was talking about earlier, I've been, I haven't been doing a ton of game development recently, just kind of like on and off messing with a few things, but nothing really productive. Um, I'm going to show off your website because I know you did do some work, uh, or not your website, but uh, your itch.io. Itch.io, yeah. yeah. Um, so I got pulled up already right here. And you did a nice new background with all your characters from all your games. And I think you put up some new games that you didn't have up here before. Yeah, I, I put up some some stuff that I've I've used for demos, like the, the, 
the four player uh, infinite runner game. Yeah, Knox Runner. I didn't. I never knew what the name of it was. But. That was just the project name. Like I didn't give it a real name. I think. Um, I think that's a good name. Yeah, but I mean, it was just basically a good um, demo that that you know someone can pick up and play for like thirty seconds. Um, but I, I had never put it out, and it was one of these things where we're not. We haven't done a ton of promos because uh, they're just not like a ton of things that, um, like a, a like gatherings and things yeah, like that. Yeah, like to do things like that. Yeah, because we did um, the one at the Sun Sphere, and then we did like Open Streets Knoxville, which was near yeah. like Central Street in Knoxville. They closed the whole thing off, and the, and at the Tech Co, we were pretty close, so people could come in and play games and things like that. Then they had the M, M, what was it, the Emory Place Block Party. I think so. Yeah. Um, I remember we did too, and it was just, it was just generally one of those things. Like, well, there's no reason for me to keep like holding on to this. Like, this is the thing we show off. Like, nah, just put it out there. That's, um, that's interesting. Yeah, I think it's a cool four player game. I mean, definitely good for parties. Oh, it, it is four players, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And yes. and and you're playing at the same time, because yeah, because you had it uh, like in four separate screens. You're like using four separate views. Yeah, like it's actually split screen and, and all that. Um, but kind of kind of the motivation behind uh, just putting this stuff out there. I rebuilt everything for WebGL because um, uh, a lot of the builds were things that I'd done for Let Them Dare, and so go all the way back to the the Unity plugin. Um, a lot of it was just like most of my games, my target's been, you know, an app store like Google play and that was fine, but you know, I'm not out there marketing my stuff heavily. And so what I ended up with is a lot of these kind of like half finished games on itch.io that are now no longer playable because the unity plugin's gone. And then you know, all my finished games were on Google Play getting hit or miss traffic because, you know, it's an app store and it's platform specific. I'm just like, well, I just need to start kind of targeting itch.io because, you know, if, you know, if I'm coming at this as a hobbyist and I'm, I'm, um, I'm not wanting to do a bunch of marketing. That's just a good place to put them. That that opens everything up. So yeah, it's a great service. I mean, you can upload as many games as you want to up there. I think yeah. they got to be under a certain like under two gig, which I never do hit that limit or anything. It's it's hard to get traffic on itch.io unless you promote yourself. I mean, don't expect to throw up a game yeah. on itch.io and get a lot of traffic. But uh, I think it's a great you- service. Yeah, I'm not like I'm not like oh yeah, this is just a new new avenue for for marketing games. It's more like this is a good it it doesn't cost me anything and it's open, so this is probably what I should be targeting. Exactly. Uh have you ever used Butler? I have not, but it it's a really good tool. Uh, if you like, want to make, multi- I'm going to go ahead and show this. I wasn't going to show yeah. it, but uh, Butler comes with, uh, if you download the Itch app, which it puts like a little icon like this, Itch on your desktop. And I'm going to show this. I, was, I wasn't going to do this this month, but uh, if you download Butler, so I got it installed 
and my tools directory projects or no LD Smith tools if I can find it and I think it's in here playmaker oh no I can't find it playmaker on I know I have it in one of my projects so let's go butler.bat what what did you see it yeah there you yeah, go thanks bat. thanks Dylan uh, yeah, so I'm going to open this bat file. And yeah, basically, all this calls is it actually gets installed in your uh, in your app data roaming itch bin folder. So from there, let me go to projects and just pick ancient adventure here. So I have two scripts. So let me talk about the first script first. And I'm going to edit this. So this is a build all script. So what this does is I have a directory set up, and this is just like a bat file, like old school DOS. Uh, I have a directory for the project, which is currently directory. Then I have like the name of the game on itch, um, okay. which I don't think I'm using right here. Uh, I don't actually don't use that right now. Uh, then I have the exe that I want to create, and then the location of Unity. Uh, so what I do is I call Unity, and there's a way to compile um, by command line in Unity, and I have it where it builds its the Linux like player, the Linux exe, the macOS exe, and the Windows exe. And that puts all three of those builds into the build directory. And after I have those created, then I go and call this butler push all. And it calls that butler script right here in the tools directory. So it's just going to say butler push. Then that build for Windows, Mac, and Linux is going to push it up to my itch.io project name forward slash then the name of the project so it's a really easy way if i make a new build of a game i can just like double click build all it builds all of the the three platforms mac linux mac linux and windows then i do butler push all so it takes those three pushes them up to itch.io and i'm done i don't have to upload any files or anything like that so um i that that seems pretty neat like i would it almost makes me wish there's probably some way to do like a build server for unity where you just you know like team city or something where you just push something out to your source control it picks it up it rebuilds it and that if it succeeds it pushes up to butler um i did not know i knew i I thought there was a way to do like the command line build but i never looked into it so that's that's pretty neat um it took me a while to figure out how to do that and like searching through like the documentation and everything. And the one thing I will warn about, there's like different switches for building 64 bit or 32 bit. Um, obviously 32 bit is pretty much compatible with everything, but I think 64 bit is like what most everybody is running on. So that's a decision. I know like, uh, I think itch.io has an option to do, or maybe that's game jolt. But you just got to watch out for the architecture that you're building there. Yeah. I think one of the things I wish Unity was better at was, like, 
I don't know that you can specify like um, your compiler directives from the command line. That would be nice because you could, you know, put like platform specific content in a little bit easier. Oh, that that would be really nice. I'm going to show off one of my games for the Xbox, and I just wish there was a way to turn off Xbox and just build for like Windows and Linux and everything else. I don't hear you, Dylan. Oh, you're muted. I'm muted too early. Uh, Yeah, that's the exact sort of thing I wish you could do a little bit more easily without having to dig down into options. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so, yeah, definitely check out Dylan's (coughs) Itch.io. I know you posted some, like you're saying, all your... uh, your uh, Google Play games. I was checking out your Envoy games, kind of like Castlevania 2. Yeah. Pretty cool. And um, then you also have Retro Future. And you have, I didn't realize you have like 50 levels on this game. Yeah, that was the build that I did for um, uh, Google Play. Where I was like, I'll just put this out. And at first I was like, I could do this ad supported. And then realized like, I don't know if they're like, you can't put in a business name for your, or you can't tie, tie your ad mob account to like a business account or something like mm. that. And I was just like, I'll just put it up for free. So yeah, it, it, it feels like it's a fully polished done game. And I noticed the one thing that really impressed me about this game is you can play it through the web and it will also like save your progress. And, yeah, and Dylan, uh, I think you're going to talk about how you actually did this, save games and things like this at a future Knoxville game design meeting, maybe in yeah. March or sometime. I'll have to have to put something a little more together on that. But yeah, basically, what I did was instead of using player prefs, I'm actually writing a file because um, pretty much every uh, Unity player. Actually, I don't remember. I may have had to rewrite that for the web. But on Google, uh, like on Android, you can actually get, you know, app-specific storage and, you know, like serialize a file to JSON. Yeah. Well, I'll be very uh, interested about hearing more about about that at a future meeting. Um, But, yeah, very cool there. Um, So uh, I'm going to go ahead and go to uh, Jake here. Jake, did you have anything you wanted to show off this month? Not really. I'm mostly just kind of checking in, see what y'all have been cooking up. Uh, well, I appreciate you joining us. Um, I know that um, you had a game, so you're jakegillenwater.me, right? I know you're on our directory. You had a game that you were telling us about last time. If you don't mind me showing it off. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, let's see here. Jake Gillenwater. It, it's, it was like a little UFO game. I don't have it installed right here. Abduction game. And I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I don't... Or, I can play right here through the web. Um, click. Yeah. It's kind of hard for me to hear you. I wish there was a way... Can I mute? Uh, I'm sorry. Is this better? Okay, I hear you now. Yeah, I just had to mute this tab. Um, yeah, so this was a pretty cool little game here. I mean, uh, so you can click through, remove the spaceship, stop moving above a person to abduct them, return abductees to the mothership, 
uh, hitting mines, bullets, and hooks will cause uh, you to lose abductees and damage your ship. I'm going to play on easy. Um, capture as many before time runs out. Humans needed three. Yeah, so this is pretty cool. You move your spaceship around in multiple directions. You dodge the... Uh, <laughs> I ran, oh, no, I'm running into mines. So it looks like you automatically... You just hover over the person and you abduct them. Now, I don't have to actually pull them back to the mothership, it doesn't look like. Uh, you do have to pull them back to the mothership. Oh, okay. So, uh, in the top left-hand corner, mm -hmm. thank you for a moment, uh, it should have a little tag that says in transit. Oh, okay. Let's see here. Try that again. So, I see captured zero five. Oh, I see that up there in transit right there. Um, oh yeah, so I just like hit hit him right there. Just you just touched mothership and that registers. Mm -hmm. This is really good. So what did you use to uh, make this again? Uh, that's written in Phaser and TypeScript. Phaser and TypeScript. This is very cool. I think, I think now we actually have a uh, sound effect that like beeps whenever you return something to the mothership. I don't know if you have sound on or not. No, I had to t turn it off because I can't hear you and the game at the same time. <laughs> yeah. uh, the music is absurdly loud. <laughs> yeah, That's a problem I have with my, my own games. I need to add like a volume control in a lot of my games. But yeah, this is very cool. I like the animation of the little guys, how they're walking. That looks like the walk cycle looks like it's really well done. I uh, appreciate you saying that, but I can't take full credit. I pretty much just copied a like out of a book, almost oh. verbatim. Like, oh, uh, that's fine. <laughs> so basically, we're uh, uh, racing against time, right? And if I get, sh can I get shot? Like. Uh, any number of times, does that just reduce the clock? That only reduces the clock. Uh, oh, okay. So if I get... The screen's a little misleading right now. It still says that if you... It takes damage to your ship, and I think we got rid of that because it just became too difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're playing on, like, the hard difficulty, it just becomes almost impossible. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. Um, yeah, so, uh, this month I was going to show off the Dream Build Play game that I did. Uh, it's Turn Back the Clocks 4. This started out as my, uh, I think I need to mute this. This started out as my one-hour game jam game. Uh, so it's kind of like Plinko. I, I don't remember if I've showed this off before at Knoxville Game Design. But you basically got, like, these balls that you shoot down, and the objective is to light up all these little clocks here. Um, you have 30 balls and you have some special balls like red balls and yellow balls, which give a initial multiplier. So the red balls are worth twice as much and the yellow balls are worth five times as much. So this is a new feature that I added for the game. If you, uh, land the ball in the little slot right here, these spinning wheels will pop up. And it will, one wheel is for the ball type and the other is for the multiplier. So you can win additional balls that way. And another new feature that I added are these mines right here. So if you uh, ricochet one of your balls off, uh, off a clock and it hits a mine, then the ball just explodes and it, it, it's no longer available to hit anything else in the game. Um, 
All of this is done through instancing the clock objects. I laid these out actually in a text file, all of the levels. I currently have six levels in the game. That's it. Um, I had a high score table, but I took it out for the Xbox build. I got to figure out how to go back and do that. But uh, yeah, submitted this for the Dream Build Play 2017. Uh, it's, uh, I think I talked about that before, but it's uh, it was an old uh, game development competition years ago for Xbox Live Any Games, and they brought it back in 2017. Um, uh, there's like five, four or five different categories. I think the grand prize is like $50,000. Different categories for like VR games, console games, PC games. And there's even like a category for um, a devlog. So if you documented your game development process, which I've done here, uh, you can submit your devlog in the devlog category. And so I have things on here. It's like, oh, here's how you get the mapping of the buttons to Unity, how to deploy it using the, your retail Xbox right here. And I also have videos. I did most of all of the development live stream. So you can go back and click these. You can see how I did the ball explosion in Blender using the cell fracture plugin. I think the only requirement was your post had to be like 200 or 300 words and you had to have like six posts over a, a month or so. So that was the game that I did for that. Um, I wanted to mention, since Joe Miller isn't here, uh, haven't seen Joe in a while, but uh, I did hear from him over Christmas and he's doing well. He's just been busy with real life and everything. But I know me and Joe always did this GM48. It was this weekend. I don't even know what the, see, one tool, many uses. I guess that's the theme. I didn't do it this time. I, I, I just kind of need a break from game dev. So, uh, but it comes around every like three or four months. So that's out there. Uh, also wanted to mention, I made kind of like a field trip to our friends in Lexington, Kentucky at Run Jump Dev. Um, I've wa always wanted to go visit them because they're just like straight up I-75. It's about a three-hour drive, but it's not a bad drive up there. Um, they had a meeting. I was off on vacation that week. I was like, oh, I'm going to finally go up and attend a Run Jump Dev meeting. Um, they didn't have a speaker when I was there. It was kind of just like a show-off. But the nice thing about this group, it reminded me a lot of the Knoxville Game Design Group, uh, how we were a few years ago. I think they had about 10 or 15 people show up. Uh, they have people with different like technical abilities. I know one guy was like working on a Pico 8 game in the back. Uh, I met uh, John Meister here. He actually, he's kind of like our Chaos Soft games. Uh, he has like a little indie game studio called Super Soul. I think they created a game for like Ludum Dare 28, which I think I remember playing. And I think they ported that or one of their other games over to, I want to say they have it on Steam, uh, but I'm not exactly sure. But uh, yeah, really cool people. Uh they aren't as big into Ludum Dare as we are. They've done it before, but I think the last time they did it was, I don't know, about a year ago. Ludum Dare, they're 37. Uh, but they're big into doing uh, Global Game Jam, which we've never done here in Knoxville. So 
I'll just say if anybody's out looking for a global game jam site, I would definitely recommend Lexington, Kentucky. I talked to this guy, Tim Knowlton, for quite a bit, shared off some of the games that I'd done. And, uh, yeah, pretty cool group. They have a gaming conference. I think they're tied in to uh, EKU, which is Eastern Kentucky University. And the EKU has, like, a fairly active uh, game development program up there. So uh, I think they get a lot of traffic and collaborate with them quite a bit as well. So pretty cool group up there in Kentucky. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, the main topic that I was going to present this month. I actually have slides here. So this is going to be version control software and source code repositories, <laughs> which probably isn't very exciting for game developers, but I think it is very important. Uh, I think this is something that like all game, or not just computing, intro to computing uh, courses should teach, but I mean, I didn't know when I was doing my undergrad, I didn't really use version control until I was like a senior or so. But I think it is very important something that a lot of people may not do and i'm i'm sure there are like experts on uh version control systems out there so my first point on my first slide is i don't claim to be an expert but i i know enough to get around i know enough to do the basics um so this is part of what you may hear as scm i'd never heard of this acronym before but when i was looking up some of the different tools a lot of them referred to themselves as scm or software configuration management i think that's actually uh, like a stage in the ieee software development life cycle when i was looking it up on wikipedia um, back when i was in college i mean we had the waterfall model the beam spiral model and and I did my undergrad in CS back at around 2000, late 1990s. And it's like extreme programming was just coming on the scene at that time, the agile and all that. So uh, this may be a new uh, development cycle here, which I don't know much about. But uh, yeah, you can read more about that on the Wikipedia page about software configuration management. Um, but I kind of broke this talk into two different portions one is version control systems and that's like the tool that you actually use for managing your source code um, there's two different kind of like paradigms uh, one is distributed and that's sort of like where everyone has a copy of the code and then they're centralized which is kind of like the older style where you have one repository is sitting on a server somewhere and you check out the code and you commit it back in which you can also do in distributed but centralized was uh just focused on that way of doing things and i've seen it also called client server uh, for the centralized so wikipedia actually has a pretty good page for the different types of tools um software configuration management tools and the model that each uses and whether they're free and the license and things like that. Um, and then the second part is the software code repository. I guess this could be more considered as like the software code repository host where you actually host the repository where you're 
repository resides and there's different sites out there that can do that for you. Um, or you can also do your own as well. But the, uh, the ones out on the web, they're either public or private. Uh, then you have ones that are paid or free. And as I mentioned, you can actually host your own repository. Uh, you can like put it like on a remote file share or just have it on your local system. Um, here's some of the benefits. This is just my own thinking, the things that I think are beneficial for version control systems. Um, you can see the differences whenever you check in a, uh, and commit and check in your code. You can see the differences between the last uh, commit and the next commit. Uh, so you can see exactly what's changed in the code. It gives you the ability to roll back to a previous version. So if you make a mistake or you clobber one of your files, you can always roll back to a previous commit. Or you can even just like roll back a certain file. Uh, so if you mess up a file, delete it or something, just roll back to that previous version of that file. You can also see when all the files were checked in, when changes were made. Um, and also, it's a good way, if you're working uh, collaboratively, uh, to manage code for multiple developers. I typically work by myself, but I still think uh, software uh, code repositories are good, even if you're a single solo developer out there. Uh, as I put here, it's better than sharing by Dropbox or Google Drive folder, because if you overwrite something on Dropbox, then it's gone forever. But if you have, if you're actually using uh, code repository, then you can always roll back to a previous stable version. Um, I know some people, and this is what I used to do a long time ago. Every time I had a stable version, I would just back up that directory, zip it up, put it somewhere. But using a code repository is a little bit more elegant than that. Saves you some disk space and you have everything in one place. You don't have to worry about renaming directories and having an ugly sock drawer of directories or anything like that. And uh, a lot of the code repositories have analysis tools so you can see who's been working on what files. And you can also have a lot of them provide a web view of the source code. Uh, here's some of the disadvantages of using code repositories. Uh, one is all developers must have the tool on their system to check out the code. Typically, that isn't, isn't a problem. I would recommend using a tool that... Uh, is free or everyone has access to. Uh, I know I've been in situations where like people use a paid tool and I can't check out their code because I don't have a license to their uh, version control software tool. Uh, some developers are still resistant to using version control. It's unfortunate, but some people are set on their ways and they just don't want to use it. So you can't like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So some people are just like that. And there is also a additional time investment uh, for setting up a code repository at the front end, but I think it's well worth having one uh, for that small time investment. So here's like the workflow that I typically go through just as a solo developer. I create a new uh, repository on the server for that project. Then I clone that repository to my local workstation. I start working on my game, code, whatever. And once I got it to a stable point, I commit those changes. Now, there can be some debate on how often you push the changes back. 
I always push after I do do a commit, uh, just so that the repository on the server is always in sync with what I have. But it is possible for multiple people to be editing code and committing changes and then push those at a later date. Now, um, I think I'll get into it on a later slide, but when you do that, you have to, if there are conflicts, like if me and Dylan are working on the same file and we both commit it, then we check it in, then we have to do what they call merging, is to resolve those differences in the code. And that's where my expertise ends. I really don't, I really don't do much with merging. I've had to do it when I'm like working on a laptop or two different systems and I've been working on the same file. I have to merge it and it's just a nightmare. I don't enjoy that part of uh, version control software. A lot of uh, newer like uh, Mercurial and Git have pretty good um, merge functions. Like they can just handle it automatically because what they're storing is the differences in each commit. And so they can combine them together. There are still some times where you have to go through like the three panels of, you know, here's my, here's one version, here's the other version, here's the, the result. So, but it's not, it's not necessarily as bad as it sounds <laughs> uh, for, for, for general use, unless you've yeah. just, you know, gone like, you know, six months without um, merging two branches. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I mean, I think if I actually used uh, software control with other people, like on a team, I'd probably be more familiar with like doing the merge function, like you're saying. And yeah, so it sounds like they've came a long way with uh, merging. Now, the one thing I do know is like every time, I think I made a, made a note about this later, but you always have to like do a commit after you merge together. Because I know one time I did a merge and then I'm like, why aren't the branches together now? They should all be the same. And you got to do one more commit after you merge those together. At least I think that's the way it was in Mercurial. Um, so, okay, so here are some of the systems. These are some of the ones that I used a long time ago, SCCS, uh, source code, control system, and concurrent version system, CVS. Uh, I think these come by default on Unix, which is probably why I'm familiar with those. <laughs> Um, but typically you just check in and check out code. I think it actually puts a lock on the code uh, once you check it out. So that's one advantage to using one of the more modern systems where you, each person can work on the same files at the same time and then merge them together after. Um, I have used the Microsoft uh, version control system. Now this is one visual source safe. This is one of the ones where you have to have a license for every person uh, using it, and if you don't have a license, you can't check out the code. So I've never really been a fan of Visual Source Safe. They have moved on now to Team Foundation Server, and I've used this just a little bit. Uh, it does integrate well with Visual Studio, where you can just like commit within the IDE itself. But it also supports non-Microsoft repositories. I think it's something called Anchor something. You can get it as a plugin, and you can commit to a subversion or a Git repository uh, through Team Foundation Server. I don't, I don't know about that. I know like Visual Studio has a way you can integrate uh, source control, and Microsoft is now supporting Git a lot more because. Team Foundation server has its issues. Oh, okay. Um, 
I think that's what I'm thinking. I think you're right. So Visual Studio, you can commit to a Git or yeah. Or, oh, okay. Basically, there's just um, there's actually like a, a source. You can create a source control plugin, I guess, for Visual Studio is the way it works. So, you know, if you're using Mercurial, there's a uh, you know Visual HG. If you're using Subversion, like you said, there's Onk SVN. You know, you can you can get. Uh, plugins for other other systems to work more or less like you would with TFS or Git. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I know I was setting up a Subversion one time, uh, a Subversion repository, and yeah, I think that's what it was. I was trying to commit through Visual Studio. Then I got that Onk plugin that let me commit the Visual Studio project to Subversion. So I'll need to fix this slide right here before I post it. Um, so version is one that I've used quite a bit. Uh, it's been around since 2000, created by Clabnet. <clears throat> it's now part of the standard Apache Foundation project. Uh, and you click right there if you want to find out more about it. It has your standard command line interface. Uh, one tool that I used uh, a few years ago is called Tortoise, which is pretty nice. It integrates into your operating system, or Windows at least. I don't know if they have it for other operating systems. But when I used it in the earlier versions, it would actually put like a little icon over the icon of each file. So it'd have like a little uh, green plus icon next to your file if it's a new file that has been added. Uh, if it's deleted, I think it had a red X or something. It is like blue if it's been updated and something else if it needed to be committed or so or no if it's been updated i think it's blue or something like that so it's pretty nice but i noticed in later versions i think due to changes in windows the icons weren't always dynamically updated so you always had to go in and like right click and sync your icons which wasn't very fun <laughs> so i don't use tortoise that much anymore uh it does have a repo browser uh, in Subversion, which is pretty nice. Um, and one difference between Subversion and some of the other distributed um, uh, software control systems is that each commit is a sequential number. Uh, as you'll see, it's a little bit different in some of the other ones. Uh, the other, next one I've used quite a bit is called Mercurial. Um, one thing I like about Mercurial is supported by Atlassian Source Tree, which I think is a great free tool. Uh, you can download it for free. Um, the reason I found out about Mercurial is because if you go to Bitbucket, which I'll talk about in a little bit, it's the default uh, tool that they or the default repository they use is in Mercurial. And there's also a command line. And I haven't used Tortoise support in Mercurial, but apparently it's there. So I got a couple of screenshots showing like commit history for one of my projects and committing a file to Mercurial. And I'll do a demo here in a little bit uh, of how, how to do all this. Uh, and the next one, which has been pretty popular lately, is Git, G-I-T, developed by Linus Torvalds. Uh, he's pretty popular and <laughs> created the Linux operating system. So Git was created in 2005. There's a whole story about why he created Git as an alternative to everything else. But uh, you can download it at Git, and there's that SCM acronym right there. Um, it has a command line interface, but if you download the Windows build for Git, there's also an open source graphical tool you can use. 
Uh, it's also supported by Atlassian Source Tree. Um, one difference I've noticed is your changes have to be staged before you commit, which is a little bit different than Subversion. And the commit identifiers are actually these weird cryptic strings, which is a little bit different than Subversion, which uses the sequential numbers. And you can either like use a local repository or push to a server, as I mentioned earlier. And here's a uh, link right here if you want to know exactly what the differences are with SVN. Um, <coughs> something else important to version control systems is ignore files. Uh, so whenever you commit a directory, sometimes there are some folders you want to leave out. If you're doing a Unity game, you don't want to check in your slash library and slash temp because that's like something every Unity project gets. So you don't want to check that in with your source code. And also, if you have a build directory in your Unity project, you don't want to check in the EXEs. Um, I'll talk about this in a minute, but some... Um, repository hosts, they have a limit on uh, the size of the files that you can check in. So you don't want to check in like an EXE. I've got in trouble like checking in an AVI file accidentally for like an attract mode for one of my games and I had a, uh, so much fun trying to get the stupid AVI file out of source code control because it like blew away the limits on Bitbucket. Um, so typically there's either like a git ignore file in git or an ignore.txt in mercurial where you can put in the names of the directories or individual files that you don't want to check into source code control. There's also typically a global ignore file. So let's say you have for every game you have a forward slash build or slash build directory. Uh, for all your game, for all your executables, you can go into the global ignore file, add that, and then for every folder that you check into source code, or for every project you check into source code control, uh, it ignores that build directory. And you can also use typical reg regular expressions uh, for the ignore file. Here's some other topics Dylan and I, as we mentioned a little, a little bit earlier, about merging. Uh, some other topics I don't, I'm not too familiar with, but forking, I typically don't do forks, but I think this is like if you want to create a totally new project and uh, that's totally separate from your current project, you can fork it off. Uh, some other things for controlling branches, rebasing, archiving, and branching. I don't know too much about them. I think it's for like going to previous versions in your project and rolling back and things like that. And also blame, if you want to find out exactly who made what change to what line of code, there's a blame command typically uh, that you can run to figure out who edited the source file. And I'm going to go over a few of the source code repository hosts out there. The one that I used a long time ago is SourceForge, and let me bring this up. It's an old one for open source projects, and it supports Subversion. So I have two games, my old Legend of Tux game that I developed in 2009-2010. Uh, um, so yeah, it provides a nice interface. I think you can go in here and look at the code and click on that. And you can see, like back in 2010, when I check these files in, you can click on a file. And it's got nice highlighting and everything. Um, and 
for all the comments and keywords and variable names and things like that. And also line numbers, which is pretty helpful. And also they have a place where you can actually upload the builds as well for your different projects. Um, so the next one is Bitbucket. And this one's pretty popular. Uh, for one reason, you can host free private repositories. I don't know of any other sites that do free private repositories. You do have a limit of two gigabytes in file size, and it supports both both Mercurial and Git. So here's uh, one of my projects, my Lidumdare game that I did for Lidumdare 40. And source code control, so you can click on source, you can view all my Unity files, uh, so you can go like to assets and scripts, and then go to say title. And there's like the code for the title menu, which is pretty simple right there, but it has the same uh, same things: the keyword highlighting and comment highlight or comment different colors and things like that and also go through and look at the different commits that you've made this one doesn't have very many because I did it for a uh, weekend game jam but you can see the commit numbers right here those are pretty cryptic but every time you commit you got to give a message check-in message so that's like right there then if you have branches which like I said earlier I don't deal much with branches uh, aside from if I'm like working on a different laptop or something, sometimes it creates two different branches and I have to merge those back together, which is, yeah, always fun. <laughs> um, and finally, GitHub. So GitHub is nice. It's pretty popular these days. They have public uh, repositories. So that means your source code is open for everyone to see for free. They also have an option for private repositories, but that's, uh, $7 a month. Um, it's pretty nice with some of the charts and everything that it has for when you check in. Um, I'll bring it up over here. So this is my uh, my leaderboard example project in GitHub right here. Um, you can see the commits that I've made right here. So this is all a Git repository. I'm thinking actually check click on this and you can see the actual changes I removed this test file let's check this one rework leaderboard code yeah so you can see here like all these lines in green have been added if lines that have been deleted are in red highlighted in red so does cool things like that um, the insights are pretty nice uh, I think, where is it? You can see how many people have came and looked at your project right here and how many times people have cloned your repository, referring sites, things like that, unique visitors. Um, I think there's also a chart. Yeah, so you can see here for this leaderboard example, I did a lot of commits back in May kind of set idle for a long time then did a little bit more work in november and recently and see my total commits i'm assuming if there were other people that had been working on this you'd also see them their profiles right here as well um let's go back and look at my profile 
And I think this is pretty cool here. So you can see like all the work that I've been doing. Now, this isn't like a perfect representation of how much work a, a person has done. Like I could do 10 commits in a day just on one file. Uh, then it'll like show up in dark green on this contribution graph right here. But if I only like work on one file and I spend all day working on it and only one do, do one commit, then it's only going to show up as a light green box right there. But yeah, it has a pretty good history showing each year all the projects that I've worked on and going all the way back to 2011 right there. Um, they also have a wiki and bug tracking. I don't use the bug tracking, but I think one of the projects that I follow, I follow the uh, Ludum Dare Starship project. Um, I don't know if I can bring that. It might be under following right here. No followers, repositories. But, uh, yeah, can't find that right now. Profile. But it does have a nice uh, interface. Maybe I'm just search for it right here. I thought it came up on my main page. Maybe if I just go to github.com. Yeah, there it is. So here's Ludum Dare. So this is a good example project to look at for things that have been, for a project where multiple people have been contributing and see all the people who've been working on it, all their commits. And the reason I wanted to show this is because of the issue tracking, which since I'm, I'm typically the solo developer on my project, but for like a project like this where multiple people are using it and you have a lot of different users, they can go in and create these issues with the software. And then you can add tags, you can add a bug tag or mm, different things like that. And then I think you can like add comments and I think you can also check these off one at a time as they're done so you can know which issues are outstanding, things like that. Um, I don't know if anybody uses the wiki much. Um, one thing that I, so they have a wiki page right here with an explanation of the code and everything. Typically what I do, which is pretty nice, I have a, um, a readme file. Let me check my Twitter OAuth. So if you put a readme.md file in your main Git repository, then it will pop up right here, and I have some explanations of um, the code that I've developed and how I use it and things like that. And it also uses this markdown format. So that's a somewhat popular format for uh, GitHub repositories. And I also wanted to mention that Git does not equal GitHub. GitHub is a site that hosts Git repositories. There's a lot of people that use Git and GitHub, at least people I know that use those two terms interchangeably. It's like, oh, I'm going to go out and set up a GitHub site. It's like, no, you might set up a site that's hosting a Git repository, but you're not setting up GitHub. But I do know, I think there is like a Git Labs or something project where you can actually set up a site similar to GitHub yourself. So that's it for the slides. I was going to do a quick demo, at least try to do a demo. So I'm going to go to my profile and I'm going to click on the plus. I'm going to do a new repository. I'm going to call this Knox 
game design test and add a description test for Knox game design and as you can see here I can only make it public if I want to make it private since we're on github you got to pay uh, additional for that and I'm not going to do a readme but that's all you do I mean you click create repository and Bitbucket is very similar to this um, so right here it gives you the URL for your repository and they always end with this dot get extension so I'm gonna copy this then I'm gonna open a window uh, let's go back to this one LD Smith Knoxville game design so I'm gonna do a new folder uh, <coughs> source code test or I should probably name it the same thing that I named this one uh, so I'll call this Knox game design test double click that and so I'm gonna run the graphical tool get GUI so this is the one that comes with git when you download git for Windows I'm sure it's very similar for Linux and Mac so what I want to do is clone an existing repository. So in source location, I'm going to take that .git file, HTTP, GitHub, GotTechGrad, Knox Game Design Test, put it in the source location. Then target directory, I'm going to click Browse, and then go down to E, LD Smith, um, Knox Game Design, Knox Game Design Test. So I want to clone it here. So I'm going to click Clone. I don't know. Um, yeah, so it has to be one that... I always get confused here. So whenever you clone, it can't be to an existing directory. So let's get rid of this. So now let's clone that. So when I click clone, it created that folder right here. And you get this uh, <coughs> messages here working. Please wait. Oh no, that's strange. See console outfit for details. Remote ref hit. Well, that's strange. Let's try that one more time. Maybe it wasn't ready. So let's go back one more time. Close this. Close. Get GUI. Yeah, so we want to clone. Paste this there. Browse. E. LD Smith. Knox Game Design. I'm just going to call this like test. Hmm. Folder. Oh, let's go back. Box game design select clone target. I think you, yeah, you want to add a uh, yeah that on the the end there. Okay, that work. should work. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I did go I did go through this earlier and it worked. 
I'm thinking maybe everything hadn't been initialized yet or something. Nope. Don't like it. Maybe. Um, can you use the SSH version, maybe? Yeah. Um, so let's do this by command line, which I actually already have right here. Well, you, you should be able to just plug in the SSH URL. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah. I'm going to take another approach to this to see if this works. So I got my source tree right here. Yeah. So I'm going to click the plus button. And I'm going to clone a repository. I'm going to paste in. Is there an extra space in here or anything? Okay, no. So browse. So I'm going to go LD Smith. Mox game design. Select. So let's put this in test. Clone. Yeah, so it works in source tree not sure why it didn't work in in uh the git gui um okay so now we have our repository cloned on our local system so i'm going to go into test here's the git folder so it's hidden so if i go into test right here our repository i'm not going to see it if i do a directory you got to do a directory a colon h then you can see that dot git and this is just a bunch of files that you shouldn't ever have to deal with. Um, the one that you may have to deal with is config, but you really shouldn't have to touch this. Only time I've ever had to touch this before is when I change the location of the repository on the server. Then you might have to do it. But typically, you don't need to touch anything in .git. Um, if you're doing Mercurial, it has something very similar, but it's .hg, and I think Subversion is .svn. So typically, you don't touch any of those files. So I'm going to go in. Uh, let me do this by web interface for, or by graphical interface first. So I'm going to go new text document. I'm going to create like a hello .text. Double click that. Hello world. So this would be like your game code or source files or your Unity project or something like that. So once you do that, it's going to pop up usually pretty quickly. And I'm using the Atlassian source tree. So it says unstaged files. Now if I go, let's see if I can bring this up. I want to try one more time. Get GUI. So now that I've cloned it locally, I should be able to open this repository in Git GUI. So I'm going to browse to ELD Smith um, projects. No, Mox Game Design test. So since it has this Git in here, it's actually a Git project. So I'm going to open. That's strange. There it is. So in Git GUI, it looks kind of the same. You got unstaged files here, unstaged files here. Um, so I want to click on hello text, stage all. So that's going to add the file. And here's where you have the option to automatically push to your remote repository. It's strange because it doesn't have the actual server right there. But here's where you edit the enter the commit message. So I'm just going to say first check in. I want to see if I can leave that 
check down there and see if it automatically pushes. So this is going to push this hello.txt file up to my GitHub repository. So if I go back and click on my Knox game design test, you can see now it's been checked in 15 seconds ago, first check-in. And hello text, so I can click on that. Hello world. Now I can, uh, let's say, go back to my file viewer. Hello, um, then edit this and say, this is an update. Save that to low text. I'm going to see if I can do something different. Well, do I want to? I'm going to see if I can use the command line to do this. I'm going to go back. So whenever you install git, it adds the git command line tool. So I want to git add, then do dash a. So that should add all the files in the current directory. So that just committed, uh, or no, that hasn't committed it. That just told the repository that I, that's a file that I changed. So you can run git status. So that shows me now modified hello text. So if I want to commit this, I do git commit. So this is going to bring up a VI editor. So um, if you don't know VI, <laughs> uh, there's tutorials out there, but old, old school Unix editor. So I'm going to say updated the code, press escape ZZ. So that just made a commit. So what happens if I do get status here? Nothing to commit. So it's been committed. It just hasn't been pushed yet. So I think I can do a git push. Do I have to put the URL? Is it smart enough to know the URL? Sometimes you actually have to tell it the URL or to push to. But yeah, it looks like it pushed it up to GitHub. So if I go back to Knox Game Design Test, um, you can see now I have two commits, first check-in, then updated the code. So you can see here, I'm not sure why it saw this as a deletion. Um, maybe it's because of the new line, but there's yeah. the, this is an update. It's probably because I used Notepad++ and it used a different end line or something. Oh, is that Jacob? Yes, sorry I'm late. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, we're just wrapping up a uh, source code repository <laughs> demo here um so yeah so yeah we got the new code checked in and using the command line interface um so yeah a lot of documentation out there um on how to use all that all right uh so jacob you've been working on any game development lately uh yeah kind of I've been, edited, I've been messing around with source code from uh, Humble Bundles from, like, Humble Bundle source code game things. Oh, okay. Is that uh, some a new thing that they have out there where they put out source code for their games? I think it's been around for a little while. Oh, okay. Did you have anything you wanted to show off? or? Uh, not right now. Uh, we played your game last time. I'm, I'm going to bring it up right now. Uh, the one that you did for Ludum Dare. Yeah. We can take a look at it again if you want to talk about it. 
We can do that. Okay, give me one second. Um, Ludum Dare. If I can find it here. May have to just download it from the website. Let's go to Nox Game Design and let's see here. Let them dare entries, and it was called Boom. Yes. And so we got the zip file right here. Okay. And going to download. And extract, extract all, extract, and let me share up my screen again. And click there, boom.exe. So I actually made that game from like a, a 3D dungeon crawler tutorial thing. Okay. And I figured out a way to make it like play like Doom kind of. I couldn't yeah. figure out how to get the bullets to move like where you were looking. So I just made it to where it shot out eight bullets at once in eight different directions. Oh, okay. Do you remember what button to shoot? Is it Z or... Oh, there it goes. X? X. Yeah, so... Are these ghosts that are, like, chasing me right here? Yeah. You have to collect souls to gain health, and your health and ammo are in the same pool. Oh, okay. So if you run out of ammo, you die. And I think, like, the overall objective is to get to the exit, right? Yeah, to get to the exit of every level. The I couldn't figure out how to fix its hitbox, so you kind of have to, like, run into it a little bit. I'll probably like, fix the game at a later point and re-release it. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, like, uh, I think we got pretty far when we were showing this off last time. So we, so there's knights on the second level. So are the knights, like, good guys, or are they bad guys, too? They're bad guys. They'll, like, if they collide with you, they'll stop you from moving and kill you fairly quickly. Oh, okay, gotcha. They, are, like, they have a lot more health, and I figured out there was a glitch to... Yeah, I figured out there was a glitch so that bullets would get caught on the ghosts, and I figured out how to fix that glitch with the knights. Oh, okay. To make them much harder. There's secrets in the level, too, if you can find them. <laughs> this reminds me of Wolfenstein with the knights and, and secrets and everything. Yeah, I made the game to be based off of Doom, because that's how the controls for Doom and Wolfenstein worked. Yeah, yeah, this, this takes me back... This reminds me of a lot of the games that I played when I was a kid. Yeah. Yes, I thought I saw something over this way. Was there a pickup? Yeah, there's a secret on that wall. I forget which tile it is, but you have to, like, kind of use trial and error to get through there. Oh, uh, yeah, I thought I saw some yellow or, like, a key or something over here. It was like, if when the knights die, if you figure out a way to kill them, they drop a thing called a... Dreaded Soul, which does more damage. Oh. It does more damage. It gives you more ammo than a normal soul. For that one, it's like you have to run into one of the... Yeah. Okay, I got it. 
Then there's like these fire guys on this level. Yeah, they're like inverted versions of the other knights that shoot fire. Oh, okay. Yeah, this knights. is a pretty cool little maze here. I think we got what, to the third or fourth level. I think we got last time. I can't yeah. remember if we got past this one. So the pickups, okay. are, are the little blue orbs right there, does that just give you ammo, or does it make you... It gives it gives you ammo, ammo, ammo and health, since your ammo and health are basically in the same pool. Okay, I got gotcha. you. So those are the lowest tier. There we go. I think, yeah, the second night area. The knights didn't used to be the, how difficult they are now because of the bullet glitch that I fixed for them, so bullets didn't get caught on them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm still pl I'm playing the version that's on the uh, Ludum Dare site. So if you have a new version of it, I probably don't. Probably no, not this is the new version. Oh, this is. Oh, this okay. is the one of the glitch fixes. Okay. I did try to, I was trying to make a edited version of this where, like, you had an actual HUD and that you actually shot bullets that weren't part of your health. Yeah. And I might change that back if I can actually get the game to work how I want it to work. Yeah, I think a HUD would help a lot just to know how much health I have. And Yeah. I don't, I don't think I got this far last time. I don't remember this long. Quarter. Yeah, this one is just filled with ghosts that still have the glitch. Okay. Well, they didn't fix it for them. This has a lot of levels in it. <laughs> I think it has around 8 or 10 levels. I like how each level has a different theme to it. Like you got the fire guys and the fire level. and So, and you did, all... the weird... you did all this with Game Maker, right? Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, I've never done the 3D stuff with Game Maker before. Yeah. When you figure it out, you can make a lot of things if you know how to work it. Yeah, there was actually a GM48 this weekend. I kind of, I didn't do it myself, but I know that's one that Joe Miller and I, we've done that one in the past. Cool. Game Maker competition. Yeah, this one might be too hard for me. There's a lot of fire guys in this level. Yeah, I need to... I probably need to do some fixes with how a game plays if I get back to it, which I probably will at some point. Yeah. I think this is a... This game... The game does have a kind of story. You essentially just kind of play as the Grim Reaper trying to fight a giant mouth, basically. Oh, okay. I think... Well, I remember, yeah, I remember the story from uh, uh, from your description here. Uh, your middle class life of, of a soul collector. <laughs> your health and ammo are one and the same. Yeah, I think this is a very good game right here. I'm impressed. Yeah. I'll probably do bug fixes later on. And like figure out how to make it to where you can look with the mouse. Yeah, that would be nice. Uh, yeah, the one thing that I noticed is I had to keep like pressing left and right to turn. So if it was like where I could just hold the button down or use the mouse, that would make it a little bit better. Um, 
I had another idea for like a first-person shooter tank type game. What's that? Like you could, like you'd use the WSD keys to move the bottom part and the arrow keys to move the top part. Like oh. the top part was the turret, and like you turn that around to shoot, and the bottom part was like the like the WSD part was the thing that actually turned the treads, so you could move around and shoot other tanks. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I've never seen that control scheme before. But I think that would work pretty well. Have one one set of keys for turning the turret, then another keys for moving around. Now, one question yes. we had last time we played this, we noticed the screen was really wide uh, for this game. Yeah, was, is that by default or was that by design? That's how long the rooms actually are. Because in Game Maker, the rooms is how big the screen actually is, unless you turn on full screen mode, which I don't actually have in the game. Oh, okay. That that makes sense now, because we were wondering why it's so wide. So you can tell how wide the first room is, because that's how wide the actual screen is. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll go around one more time. Uh, Dylan, did you have anything else you wanted to show off or talk about this month? No. Hey, Jake, thanks for stopping in. I guess, do you have anything else you want? All right. <laughs> and, uh, Jacob, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about this month? Or show Not off? Not really. Oh, okay. Uh, let me switch back to me. When my other games are done, I'll probably show them, but they're not done at the moment, so. Um, you can find D uh, Dylan at DylanWolf.com. Dylan Wolf on Twitter and uh, on Itch.io. Uh, Jacob, did you have a uh, Itch.io account yet? I have a Game Joel account that is Big Old Tom because that's the only name I could think of that was interesting. Is that Big Old Tom, like T-O-M? Yeah, T-O-M. Oh, G-O-M, oh, okay. Um, no, T-O-M. T-O-M. Oh, okay. <laughs> See if I can pull that up right here real quick. Yeah, so check out Jacob's games on Game Jolt. At, They're not uh, very good because they were just two 3D games I made that aren't really finished, I guess. Yeah, just kind of I, experiments. Yeah, I know you've been working on a lot of games. Uh, yeah, over the years. I'll try to post more games. Under there, if I can. Okay, and I'm, uh, you'd find me. My personal Twitter is GaTechGrad, GA TechGrad. If you just want to see my games and stuff, find me on Twitter at Levi D. Smith. Um, Levi D. Smith.com is my website. Um, and my itch.io is also GA TechGrad. So, uh, next month, we don't currently have a topic. So we may just do like a short condensed podcast where maybe me and anyone that shows up just talks about game news for a little bit. So I wouldn't expect a lengthy meeting or anything. Uh, maybe the month after that, Dylan may talk to us about uh, save games sometime after. Um, I know we do have okay. Momocon coming up. I think it's in May or sometime. Yeah, it's um, actually I've got kind of written down here because i made a list of uh i think are, momocon is may 24th through the 27th 
are you plan Dylan, are you planning on submitting any talks to MomoCon? Um, I've submitted, but I don't think they've done any um selection. Oh, okay. I guess uh submission period is closed now, isn't it? You know, I can't remember. Uh, let me double check because I I think there was a cutoff. I think they cut off some, but not all. Yeah, I know Codestock here in Knoxville, Tennessee. They recently cut off theirs in early January. I think it was just a few days ago. Um, yeah. So um, actually, Momocon submissions are available through February twenty eighth, according to their site. Oh, okay. Yeah, I may look into that. Uh, but I'm definitely planning on going to Momocon maybe both days this year. Um, I'm going to look at their indie game. Uh, what is it? The On the convention floor, I think Joe last... Yeah, okay. I know Joe, yeah. yeah, Joe Miller went last year. I think it's like $400. Um, I don't know. That'd be very tempting to do. I'm not big on like having to like stand beside... <laughs> a booth for like two days but yeah uh, it's their their indie game showcase and their uh like their their contests those are clearly for like professional level you know that's why it's four hundred dollars so yeah if that sounds pricey that's yeah it is a lot but uh a lot of good exposure down there but yeah for Someone like me. I mean, but if we wanted to go into like Knoxville game design or something, I mean, we can talk about that later. But yeah, but I definitely want to go this year just because I know they do a lot of. I'm big into e league or or the esports and everything, and that's like one of the major sites now is MomoCon. So yeah, like they've they've been pursuing indie games, like you said, esports. You know, just branching out where it makes sense. Yeah. Very cool. So yeah, there's always something going on. Um, we may like back off on like like I'm getting a little bit burnt out on game development. I'm I'm have a couple of things I want to work on, but uh, yeah, the next few months, uh, yeah, we'll try to keep on doing the podcast, even though it may be in like a uh, reduced, more brief format. But remember, uh, everyone out there in late april we got ludum dare 41 so we're planning on doing a get together for that and then probably in may uh then we'll do another uh show off meeting so anyway that's it for uh, january 2018 Knoxville game design appreciate everyone uh out there listening and watching on youtube um i don't think i promote it very often but we do have a mailing list you got to go on the website you can always find us on knoxgamedesign.org and you can always find out about the latest meetings the games we developed and things like that on the knox game design uh website so until next time thanks everyone for watching